Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And we all know when we're working women and we have children that sometimes when we're flying, it makes it the most complicated. (laughs) (laughs) And you were flying a lot last week. At a high speed, high speed, hitting turbulence, all of the things. So... As we're talking, I'm looking back at last week, which was the week prior to Labor Day, and really it goes the week before that. So right, right. the Minnesota State Fair, otherwise known as the Great Minnesota Get-Together, this year known as the Great Minnesota Get-Back-Together, was was and is the most intense 12-day period of my job yeah. uh, because we broadcast out there every single day. It's, so, it's, it's really hard to explain. Yeah. I mean, every job has sort of those moments. If you're an accountant, it's right around when people are filing their taxes. Right. I mean, everybody's got these big periods. The Minnesota State Fair is unlike anything I've ever been through, Elizabeth. When So we used to broadcast, but we, I was radio when I used to yeah. broadcast there live. And it is every single day, and we did a four-hour-a-day show. And it's just, you finish the week, and I always used to just collapse, kind of. <laughs> I would just literally collapse. And generally, we would get Labor Day off, and then you'd be back on the air on Tuesday. And it flows in such a weird, intense way. And and you were describing why the fair is hard when we were talking earlier this morning. Tell everybody why it is hard. Because it doesn't sound like it's hard. It sounds like it should be really fun. You know, you're well, going out to the fair every day. It is, yeah. I mean, it's simultaneously the most fun and the most difficult, which are just so many things in life, right? Right. right. I mean, it, it's simultaneously the most fun and the most difficult because you get to do really fun, kind of more casual shows. The content kind of just shows up at your door. You're surrounded by all these people. You get to meet people. You get to tell really great stories. The Minnesota State Fair, to me, just brings out the best of what is Minnesota, and I'm so proud to be part of it. That being said, it's also, it is also the most difficult because I joke it's like TV camping. So it's like, let's pack up our stuff and let's go camping. So let's make everything just like less convenient, dirtier, weather dependent. And you kind of feel sick because you probably like ate too much and drank too much. It's all of these things combined. So I always say it's TV camping. And then someone did comment on my social media when I said that one time. They were like, wait, they don't really make you camp out there, do they? I was like, no, I don't really have to sleep out there. Well, I was lucky enough one one year that I did get to sleep out there. I do remember that, yeah. They uh, They put all the air talent in an RV and we lived on the fairgrounds for, I don't know, seven days. It was a lot um, of days. I loved it because I would always go in there and I would raid the fridge in the RV. Yeah, there was, was always strawberries and cream in there and I was so happy. <laughs> How many adults do you think we had in that RV? You I had like know, eight, like, I think. There were like I think eight. it was like eight. 
eight of the air talent all in the RV. And I will tell you, there was a lot of drinking going on on that camping trip. <laughs> a lot of drinking. <laughs> anyway. That is so, what had to happen. So it is. And then you also add in the um, sort of being surrounded by people all the time, right? I mean, which again yeah. is like simultaneously invigorating and then really draining because – when we have a normal show, we have commercial breaks, we have time before the show, we have time after the show, and there are, at the fair, a lot of people who who are just watching what you're doing at any given moment, and and I that's great, and it's wonderful, and I'm so happy that they're there. That's also then kind of a draining thing that's happening to you. So I, I simultaneously love it and dread it and all of the feelings about it. And I'm always happy when it starts and I'm always happy when it ends. So I think it's a good, it's good. That being said, this year got a little bit extra complicated because we are launching a brand new 9am show on KSTP. And that show is going to start on Tuesday, September 7th. So as you listen to this, it is launching. It's called Minnesota Live, which will be really great. But they needed a show in between ending the previous show and starting the new show. And so they said to me, hey, Elizabeth, how about you host a 9 a.m. show and then also host Twin Cities Live from 3 to 4.30? And I was like, hey, wow, okay. Because that's the whole day. Because it's a lot. You know, it's like, it's a lot. And I can go back and forth in between, but but it's a lot. That adding on, it was Bernie's first week of school. So Bernie started school before Labor Day. And so I knew I was going to have a couple days of fair broadcast, and then I was going to go into the full week of the fair, having to get Bernie out the door, the boys out the door. It's a brand new routine for everybody. It's much earlier than normal. And I was going to have to be on a brand new show that I've never done before, that I'm only doing for five days, and then go out and do the most intense part of Twin Cities Live every day. So what I thought would be helpful today, Marjorie, as you were like, let's talk about this. Like, let's talk about the week is the pre, the during, and the post. And why I think this is applicable to everybody. This isn't just people who work in media and have to go out and shove pronto pups in their pie holes all day long. This is really about (laughs) understanding that in whatever job, as you mentioned, whatever career path you have, or whatever even just life you live, there are going to be certain periods that are more intense than others. And I have definitely not done a great job of handling those intense periods. And I feel like this time I did the best job that I could have possibly have done, Marjorie. And so I want everyone to like learn from the mistakes that I've made and hopefully kind of be able to integrate some of the strategies that I used. And I think that's so important to talk about because I think sometimes when I look back, especially when the kids were younger and I knew one of those periods was coming – there's an, for me, sometimes there was the inclination to sort of hide from it. Yeah. And just like not deal with it. And then it just comes and it goes through, you go through it and it's kind of hell. And then you come out of it, you have a little bit of a breakdown and then you move on. Yeah. And I think that's what was, I was sort of marveling at the week that you had. Because if anybody follows you on Instagram, they could see you at the fair every day. They could see you getting through those days. And those are long, tiring days. Mm-hmm. And as we've already said, any career has these sort of moments where you're going to go into, whether it's you've got a project due or, and I just think it's really important to face it and to pre-plan it, like you said. And I think there were times for myself as well, like I said, that I would fail at that and it, how different your life can be, still intense, if you really 
confront the fact that it's coming and deal with it. So how did you do that? Okay. So a couple of things, pandemic blessing, let's talk about that, Right, is that I sort of intuitively knew and, and then on an intellectual level knew too, that the level of stress of just kind of like regular stress was going to be higher than what I'd experienced in the past because there were just uncertainties about how people were going to feel, how I was going to feel being around a lot of people, how I was going to navigate social situations if people felt like they were getting too close, you know, all those types of things. So in some ways, as I think we've seen with a lot of things with this pandemic, I mean, this is not being saying that I want to go through this or that I'm happy that we're going through this. That being said, there are always some positives out of intense experiences. And I think one of them is really being able to step back and go, how do I want to approach this? How do I want to handle this? And I think we're doing that more than we were doing a couple of years ago. Yeah, because we have to. We have to. We We were just barreling through. Now we're actually taking time to sort of assess So taking time to assess would be the number one thing. So the pre-planning. So Jay and I started pre-planning a couple of weeks ahead, maybe even three weeks ahead, when I started to realize that I'm going to be doing this show. All of this is going to come to a head in the first in that week. And the number one thing that I think was really helpful was asking for help and asking for help early and really deciding where we needed the help the most. The pain points. Yes, exactly. So I enlisted all of the grandparents and I sent out a group text to the grandparents and I said, here's what's happening and here's where I think we could really use the help. Because what we were realizing was, number one, I wanted Bernie to have a great first week of school. So I want her to go to school and feel just confident going in. I don't well, want her to feel like she was rushing and like the boys are crying and like Jay's frustrated and right. anyone's snapping, you know? And like somebody's paying attention. Exactly. And someone paying attention. Yeah. So we decided that Jay was going to be on Bernie duty. So Jay's on Bernie duty and his job is to get her to school and to have a nice conversation with her and to send her off feeling great. And then we were enlisting the grandparents' help to be on little boy duty. So the grandparents, I said, here's when Bernie and Jay have to leave the house. Here's when I have to leave the house, which happened to be at the same time. It was 745. We've got to be out the door, wheels up, and we need help getting the little boys to daycare. And what that was doing was understanding, too, that in Franklin, we have a four-year-old who is not as predictable in terms of his moods (laughs) as maybe the other children. And then we also have a 10-month-old who could have a blowout diaper at any time. And so our thought was, okay, if we have someone else taking the little boys, they're not as much on a time crunch. If one of those things happens, then we've got a built-in buffer that the grandparents can handle that situation and get the boys off to school. Here's the alternative to that, is you don't ask for help. Franklin has a meltdown. Yeah. Heathcliff does what Heathcliff does because he's a baby. Yep. And... Your stress level and yeah. Jay's goes sort of nuclear. Nuclear. Because then Bernie's late. Jay's trying to shove all the kids in the car. And you're trying to get I'm to the shuttle. I'm feeling stressed. I'm yeah. trying to get to the shuttle to get to the fair. And then I have to be on the air and I'm worried about how my kids' days are and how Jay's day is because they were all stressed. Right. And I knew – and. I'm, oh. I'm going to be a little bit selfish here, but I think moms, this is like an important thing to do that I was thinking solely about how do I need to feel on each one of these days? Right. How I need to feel but- is like everyone in my house is taken care of, not stressed, not complaining, 
and not rushing. And that was how I needed to feel. And so I was setting up everybody else around me to make sure that I could have that feeling. I love that. And in this case, I think it's, that's so important. And I, I do think that gets lost in the mix of stressful times is how do I need to feel? Yeah. As broadcasters, it's interesting. You have to have a heightened sense of that and you have to have a heightened sense of feeling good because what you feel when you're broadcasting, you project. Yeah. It's very hard. Although, I mean, being a professional means you sort of present the same mood every day. For sure. But if you're not feeling good or you're feeling anxious, it takes more energy to bring yourself to that place where you can push through the television or the radio mic, hey, I'm feeling good. Because there's a certain 30% of that may be fake because you're not feeling that good. Mm -hmm. So you got to fake it. And that just takes more energy. So I love what you're saying is that you prioritized how you were feeling good, not selfish. It's your job. Yeah. You need to feel good. But you said something that's really important. And I think this is, there's a lot I've forgotten about that period of raising my own children. But the one feeling I've never forgotten is that awful feeling when you blow up at your kids right before they go to school. Oh, brutal. I hate that feeling Almost more than anything. Yeah. Because you just, I could so easily visualize, oh, they're sitting there, they're thinking about it. And they probably were thinking about it a lot less than I was, but I also know it's not a good thing for kids to go to school that way. And especially for their first week of school and daycare and all of that. And so I think that's really cool that that was the primary purpose is everybody gets to go out the door happy. Mm Mm-hmm. Or at least if the boys weren't happy every morning, at least they had people there taking care of them that could let them work through their own unhappiness at their own pace. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's nothing worse than like if Franklin's having a meltdown. I know with my kids, if you, if they're not moving, there's nothing worse than yelling at them to try to get them to move. Exactly. So, exactly. Oh, that's great. So it was putting that into place. So the help was really necessary. And then it was interesting because we got into the first day and Jay was like, well, that went really well. And, and he kind of thought maybe I went like a little overboard on the help. And I said, well, let's just see how it goes. And if we decide we don't need the grandparents for the rest of the week, then we'll tell them, but let's have it in place so that we're set. And then actually after the first day went really well. And I was like, well, do you want to tell them that you can handle it all? And he said, no, you know what? (laughs) Let's let's keep this. This is good. Like, let's get this system going. And it worked really well. So I think the pre-planning and the asking for help, the other thing was really setting an expectation for how we needed things to go and kind of having a family conversation and then also a couple conversation. And just to say, I this is not forever. I'm not demanding that I'm the center of the universe for the entire year. But I did say to Jay, you know, I need this week. I cannot feel stress. I cannot feel stress at home. We've got to figure out a way to make it we can talk about stressful things that we need to talk about after the fair, before the fair, whatever. But during the (laughs) fair, I have to be able to just – Focus on getting what I need to get done, done. And that was kind of like a team pep talk. Let's all get together. Let's all do it. So I think calling in even more resources than you think you need, being specific about what you need those people to do, and, and then also kind of managing expectations for everybody in the house. Here's what I love about that is I love the idea that at the first day, Jay's like, well, that went smoothly. Yeah. And then I really love the idea that you're like, well... That both of you are like, yeah, let's let this ride. <laughs> you know, as opposed to, but isn't that interesting of how we think of things? Like, was that too easy? 
Should we not have had that much help? Right. Of course you, you know, but I think that's how we are as parents, especially of young children. There's very much that attitude of they're ours. We brought them in. Yeah. We can handle this. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you just can't and you should be good with it being easy. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's a great thing that you didn't sort of say, oh, no, 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 that was too easy. We should, we can handle this ourselves. I know. Imagine what a disaster the rest of the week could, would have been. Yeah. I think also, too, letting other people in your life know that you're in a challenging period. So right. if you are going to have, say you're like, I don't know, you're a doctor and you know that you have like a huge patient load or you know what, I, what I'm, like I remember my mom as an interior designer, always really busy trying to get things, furniture and stuff in for people before the holidays. That period was always really stressful because everybody's going to have holiday parties and that's when they want their new stuff. Right. So it's really being realistic about what are the stressful periods. If you're a teacher, that first week of school, that last week of school, really acknowledging and looking at your specific circumstances and figuring out where the most difficult parts are were important. And then also in the middle of it, I found like our daycare people knew that I had a really busy week. I even like my friends knew. I mean, people just know. And I found, you know, some of that is because I have a public job. Right. But I also found like it was just really helpful. Here's an example. I wanted to get Bernie signed up for dance class with her friend. Her friend's mom and I have done a lot of like tag teaming and kind of village working together with like during the pandemic, we were helping with childcare and all that kind of stuff. Anne texted me and said, Hey, have you, have you, what, do you want to do this dance thing? I said, Yes. Oh my gosh. I haven't gotten to it. I'm so busy. Blah, blah, blah. She said, Oh, it's the fair. I'll take care of it. Oh, it's, she then sends me a message and says, Okay, I've got her signed up. All you have to do is click on this one email that she's going to send you. Put in your credit card information. I gave her that your email and your phone number. I bought Bernie a leotard. It's all set. <laughs> you know, and and there oh. have been times when Anne, who is a very busy working mom, I mean, she, her schedule is crazy, when they have been really busy. And I've said, hey, let me put your other son in the car with my boys at daycare and I'll drop him off for you. Right. Where I've just like having that village of people where you can be real about this is a difficult time and having that level of understanding. I mean, and these people weren't friends of mine before we met through our kids. They just are people that understand that we're in the same place and I'm willing to pick up the slack for them and they're willing to pick up the slack for us. And it is amazing. And I'm so grateful. And now Bernie will start dance on Tuesday and it was all set. And without Anne doing that, I wouldn't have gotten her into it because I didn't have the bandwidth to accomplish that task. And I think every working mother knows, like to somebody who doesn't have kids saying, I didn't have the bandwidth to sign up for the dance class. Seems like, really? You didn't have the bandwidth? (laughs) To any working mother, they totally get that. I didn't. There is a tipping point where the simplest thing is impossible. Yeah. And to have somebody step in and help you with that is is everything. That's great. It totally is. Meal planning, also very important. So planning out, okay, what are we going to have for dinner and how are we going to do it? I plan that out for the entire week. And that is something that absolutely has to continue through the school year because it is my saving grace. And Marjorie, also being willing to be flexible if there's a fail. So on one of the days, I was so proud of myself. I found this recipe for this pork roast deal. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm going to make this. I'm going to put it in the slow cooker. And then when we get home, I'm just going to whip up some rice and um, steam some vegetables and we'll be in great shape. It'll be a great dinner. 
I got home and took that son of a gun out of the crock pot and it yeah. was the most disgusting, dry, terrible piece of meat I've ever encountered. I was like, this is so bad. <sighs> this is so bad. And so I said to Jay, I'm like, you're not going to want to eat this. None of us are going to want to eat this. Yes. Ugh. I need you to go get tacos. And he was like, I'm getting in the car right now and I will go get the tacos. <laughs> I will do whatever. And you I just say. like pieced stuff together to give to right. the baby and just was like, okay, we're going to find stuff to give to the baby. And then I said to the kids, guys, we're going to have to wait on dinner a little bit. Papa's going to get tacos. He goes to get tacos. He comes back. We all eat and everybody was fine. And so I thought, okay, that was an example of understanding that even when you have all the best preparation and the best plans and you feel like you're really organized, it's not always going to all work and you got to roll with it. This is the part of your life that I absolutely cannot identify with at all. This whole thing about meal planning, (laughs) I just, I, I admire it so much. And actually I was talking to my sister last night because she's staying with my mom. She's been with my mom for two weeks and every night she's made dinner because she's living over there. And I looked at, and this is my sister. And I, I looked at her and I said, do you like to cook? And she goes, I love to cook. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah. And I was like, how did you do this when the kids were growing up? And she's like, you know, we would do. And she's kind of similar to you that they would just plan. This is so far off my radar in terms of like, (laughs) I just never planned dinner in that way. And if I could go back and do it again, I would do that differently. And I don't know how, because I don't, I can't, I can't make myself like to cook. Like I can't, I can't change who I am in that. I just get, I get very, well, I'll just say I get no joy out of it. And so I just, you know, luckily my husband cooks quite a bit, so he would handle some of it, but inevitably I think we, we ended up eating out quite a bit when the kids were younger. Um, but that's an expensive route to take. It you is know, that's expensive. Not, that's not really yeah. that wise. Um, I would say some of it, Marjorie, too, though, is I get if people just don't like to cook. I certainly understand that. But I also think you can, if you can just get like a couple things that you can make that yeah. you feel okay doing, it can yeah. make a world of difference and it can just kind of take the edge off of always having to eat out. I think that's true. And I think I did a story with a chef in um, Phoenix and we, we went to his house and he was showing us how he was teaching his boys to cook and they were like three and five. It's a very cute story. And so, but he's passionate and it's funny because he's a restaurateur, but he's passionate about everybody can cook really good food for their family. Yeah. And it takes very little planning if you do it with intention. And his whole point was he runs his house like he runs his restaurant. He shops efficiently, you know, he ta- he makes the kids a part of it. So the, the kids, they all go to the farmer's market. You know, his son, who was five, was chopping like a chef. I yeah, mean, it was incredible. Yeah. But but his point was to do a good meal, like breakfast, he said, to do a great breakfast for these boys, I can do everything in eight minutes. Yeah, I and, can too. It's yeah, faster. And it's, yeah, and, and that was his point, is you can have a crummy meal in eight minutes, or if you really think about it, and I think in the eight minutes we made – um, he feeds his kids chicken hearts and livers and all of those sorts of <laughs> things. And I'm sure they taste great because he's a good chef. And then he showed us the smoothie that he makes that's just packed with everything you could possibly imagine. And I think there's a lot of, oh, that's how I got through. Now I remember. I fed my kids a lot of smoothies. Smoothies are key. But I, I think that that's, 
to your point, it all goes back to planning. Yeah. And that just is what you do anyway, and then to heighten it for the fair. But I think that's a good lesson for anybody who's like me who doesn't like to cook. Because when you talk about cooking, you light up. I mean, it's like it's fun for you. And I used to marvel at this when we were on the air together, when we did the radio show. You would say you would wake up in the morning and think about what you were going to have for dinner. Yeah, I do that every day. And I just don't. I don't I'm not <laughs> wired that way. And I get that, yeah. And I think so for people who don't like to cook, I, I think the message really is because you can't eat out all the time. It's stupid no, expensive. It is. And is, it's not, not, it can't be that healthy. I mean, it's, you know, it, it depends on where you're going, but still. Still. And I just think that pre-planning, like Elizabeth said, I did have a, a, a girlfriend in um, in the Twin Cities who I don't think she loved to cook either, but she had like Tuesdays was taco night, Wednesday was whatever, Thursday was. It was very, it was very organized. And I yeah. think that just helped her to have the right things always in the refrigerator to make sure that it was going to happen. Because let's be honest, more often than not, the cooking is still going to fall to the to the woman. So you I, might well, as well. And I, I believe that, though. I also – I really believe in kind of that regimented idea. Like I know that Jay um, – so Jay always has golf on Wednesdays. So yeah. he's very rarely home on Wednesdays for dinner during the golf season. And Marjorie, I do mac and cheese and smoothies for the kids there almost every Wednesday. I yeah. mean it's not like I'm making some amazing from scratch thing – Right. Every single night. And I think if you can kind of go, okay, I'm gonna, on Mondays, I'm going to do something in the slow cooker because I love to come home on Mondays and just have it ready to go. Right. On Tuesdays, we're always going to do a roast chicken, you know, or like something like that. On Fridays, we're always going to order in pizza. And, you know, it doesn't have to be always, and those things can shift and they can change according to what you have going on. But if you have that sort of idea of a plan. We'll do Italian on Wednesdays. So maybe that's a baked pasta. Maybe it's spaghetti right. and meatballs. Maybe it's a lasagna that we pick up from somewhere and we just make some garlic bread and a salad. I mean, it's just about, I I honestly think a, a meal planning is less about the cooking and more about the strategy because so. then you're exactly not going right. what's for dinner because there is nothing worse than getting a text from your spouse at like four o'clock. What should we have for dinner? I, I yep. just, I hate that. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. It's all about the planning. And and I would say it's all about the planning and it's all about the smoothies. Because I, I think that's how I always sort of made sure that my kids, you probably wouldn't want to drink my smoothies because everything they needed for a day was usually in a smoothie. Um, <laughs> when I tried beets, that's the only one that didn't go over. Yeah. A little bit of beets is good. A lot of beets in a smoothie yeah. is bad. I, I'm a big fan of frozen cauliflower in smoothies. I do oh. that. I buy like just the cauliflower rice, frozen yeah. cauliflower rice, and I throw a chunk into <gasps> every smoothie and it makes it creamy. It is totally tasteless and you just get like a nice little boost of cruciferous veg. What does that give you nutrition wise? It, I mean, it's it, there's lots of like anti-cancer properties in cauliflower, like things like broccoli, cauliflower, stuff like that. Brussels sprouts, oh, that's all that great. jazz. Yeah. Well, I'm going to mm-hmm. add that in because I still do smoothies. I'm going to add yeah. that in. I never. It's easy. I have to say that I've never used cauliflower. That's it's great. Very can I ask good. you? Can I ask you a question about something you said because I think this is, is important. When you talked about the pep talk. Yeah. With your family. Was yeah. that with Jay or was that with everybody? Did it you was, explain to the kids what was coming up in yeah. that week and what you yep. needed from them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it was both. Yep. yep. It was both. And it was a lot of like, even just the night before us all talking about, okay, so school starts for Bernie tomorrow. What does that mean? What does it mean for all of us working together as a team and really doing an extra job of listening? And when we say it's time to get shoes on, we've got to get shoes on because we're going to get used to our schedule. And we even, we started it the week before too, as we were going to bed a little bit earlier. 
Oh, that's so, great. you know, because bedtimes creep later as the summer goes on. So having bedtime go a little bit earlier because it's going to be, we're going to have an earlier wake up and we're going to have a time where we're going to be able to get, you know, we're going to get out the door faster and then making it really fun too. Like guess grandpa's coming to pick you up to take you to school today. Lovey's coming over. Grandpa Tom's coming over, you know, the whole thing. So the kids um, knew all along the way. I mean, he's yeah. whatever he's taking in. Yeah, he's, but Franklin and Bernie, they knew all along the way what was in front of them. So there were no surprises, which absolutely. I think is the, that's the big part of it. Yeah, that was part of the preparation. So the preparation was good. The in the in the week again that that kind of sticking to the plan, being okay with it being a little bit easier than you thought because you did prepare. Yeah. And then just kind of managing any fails with some humor, like having a good laugh about it was good. Like, this is terrible pork. I can't believe this happened. Jay was like, you guys, can you believe this happened? Mama never makes something that doesn't taste good. Can we believe it? What a hilarious thing. Let's go get tacos. You know, and that was funny. We kind of just managed it with some humor. And then in the post, it's really been about resting and recuperating. So my parents said, hey, we would love to take, can we, can Bernie come and stay overnight? And I was like, how about Bernie and Frankie? Because they were going <laughs> to take her on Friday too. So it was, but they took the big kids and um, I was able to then get home on Friday, just have the baby and Aww. be able to get to bed and get some rest and really building in like a lot of naps. Like even Saturday was just about, I was up with the kids early. And then when Heathy went down for his morning nap, I told Jay, I've got to go. I, or I tried to get him to go down. It was a whole process, but, um, you know, I was laying down too. So really just acknowledging that in that post yep. after like the, the fog lifts a little bit to just give yourself some time to take a nap, to take a walk, to take a rest. I was telling you before we started recording Marjorie that I realized how tense my body had gotten Right. From being around all of those, all so many people, and really being—I mean, the fair is a super overstimulating place. Like you got, you know, if oh, you yeah. even go for a day with your family, you get home and you're like, "Ah, there's so many lights blinking." You know, I my body had just gotten so tense. And last night, I laid on the floor with the little boys as we, just before we were getting ready for bed, and I just did a bunch of yoga stretches and yoga poses. And Frankie was doing them with me, and Heathy was climbing all over me. <laughs> um, but I felt like a whole new person, even after just 10 or 12 minutes of that. Right. And I thought, boy, you know, just kind of thinking about those like self-care things that you can do after the fact to sort of get yourself back on track so that you don't then start your normal week, which for me starts tomorrow, already feeling behind. Did you, um, did the, did the kids have any meltdowns in the middle of it or did they sort of sail through pretty easily? They did pretty well. Frankie had a pretty epic one last night, but they did pretty well during the whole thing. So that's um, sort of the end of it. End of it all. He had a meltdown. Yeah. Well, I think he had one in between two. Our nanny picked him up from school one day and he freaked out and wouldn't get in the car and the whole thing. Um, right. But you know, it's interesting because I've been now as I'm like more in tune with my kids and like kind of understanding where things coming are coming from and sort of stepping back a little bit. It doesn't surprise me. And I prepared for him to have a meltdown. I thought if anyone's going to really cause some issues, it's going to be Frankie. I mean, God love him. He's the sweetest little thing in the world, but he's also at that age. And, and I, you realize that like for him, that's how he, that's the only way that he knows how to express 
the anxiety and stress that comes along with change is right. just full out melting down because he's four. With Bernie, it'll kind of manifest itself in like a little bit of more sass. Like, well, I don't care. Well, no, 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 God love her. <laughs> or she'll have a little bit of a tummy ache. She'll talk about having a tummy ache. Like those oh, things. So as you sort of notice with your kids, how does change impact them? It makes it then less, you know, it makes it's it less, less stressful when they go through it because you expected it. So I'm like, okay, right. he had a meltdown. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because we started having to get up at, get him out the door at 745 every morning and he had someone different taking him to school and he could feel that things were moving at a much different pace, pace. in the mornings than they normally move. Yep. And so I can imagine how, why he felt that way. And so it was less, you like take it less personally and you're not going what is going on here? You're just going, oh, okay, well, now we're going to move through that. And I wonder, too, if there's a part of it that he misses, even though it's been more than a year, that he misses Bernie. You yeah. know, it's a, yeah. it's a big deal. I mean, I went to the same high school. I have three older sisters. We all went to the same high school. We all went to the same college. And there was – we all went to the same – well, two of us, three of us went to the same grammar school. And there was always a comfort at seeing a sibling – in yeah. your space. Yeah. And, you know, they were together. If you think about it, Byrne was at daycare from the day he started there. Yeah. And she's gone. And I yeah. know it's been a while yet, but I, I would think that that having her with him probably always brought him a little bit of comfort. I mean, when you're yeah. the... And in the summer, for sure. For yeah. Definitely. Well, I mean, her first day of kindergarten, which was last year, he found a little picture of her and oh. he put it in his pocket and he said, oh. I, I'm going to carry this in my pocket and when I miss Bonnie, I look at the picture. I look at the picture of Bonnie when I miss her. I mean, I about, like, oh. sobbed. I did. Oh. I sobbed. He had a little oh. tiny picture of her that he See, put in his pocket yeah. to carry. I mean. There's something super. And I think you're an oldest, so you don't quite know. No, I know it, the fear of going into a place where no one knows you and you know no one. It's no a very one. unsettling thing, which is why oldest children have a lot of baggage. We have a lot of problems, Marjorie. <laughs> we deserve some special consideration. So, Elizabeth, I wasn't going to criticize you. What I was going to say <laughs> is as the oldest, you know that feeling, but you never got the comfort that we get from having right. a sibling. I know. You we know, never got it. it. You never got that. And it is... I remember feeling like when I went into middle school, yeah. oh. I knew one person who was yeah. in eighth grade. Yeah. Her name is Alicia Redman, and she was a family friend of ours. They went to our church. And I will never forget when I was in sixth grade and I knew no one. And Alicia was like, I mean, she was like a cheerleader. She was just so, oh, she was so, so nice. And she was just always really kind to me. And when I saw her in the hall and she yep. said hi to me, it was like, I felt like I could breathe again. Right. It's a right. funny thing. And I like have that memory solidified in my yep. brain forever that she did that. So we can think about little Franklin in the middle of a crazy week, probably a little subconscious part of him wished that Bernie was back with him. I know. So, little guy. Little so guy. anyway, that was what it was. I hope that helps. I mean, maybe that helps if you're approaching something stressful or you know that you'll have something stressful going on. I know those things, I mean, it, it it definitely made it a lot better than I think it would have been. Right. And I don't feel so, I felt tired. I felt like at the end of the night, I needed to just like take a shower and go to bed. And I, I was also, I mean, Heathcliff was up 
several of the nights he was up three times a night. I mean, Mm. I was exhausted. Mm. I was like living on a lot of coffee. There was a lot happening. That being said, I think it went the best that I could have possibly expected. And, and I think we came out a little stronger on the other side of it as a family versus feeling like we have to repair the wounds that happen when things were difficult. It's more like, we navigated the bumps together and believe me that has not always been the case in our family and in our marriage so i'm proud of that happening i love that you just i love that you just said that and i'm sorry to have interrupted you as you were saying it but i love that you just said that because that's where regret comes from yeah i mean speaking from the other side the regret comes when you feel like oh we did not do that well as a family and in the end if you don't do it well as a family it's on the parents Mm -hmm. you can't blame the kids it's on the parents and so i think that that's such a beautiful thing that you can look back on what is an incredibly stressful time and think yeah we pulled together yeah and then i think the other important thing that if you take anything from this podcast is more help than you need is not a sin no more help than you need is just being smart and it's okay. Yeah. This has been the revolution of this summer for me, Marjorie, Yep, is more help than you need is good. And again, I mean, as I talked about some, that help came in the form, I mean, it it didn't cost me any more money. It came in the form of asking for help from the, from our family, from our village, from other moms and dads who want to help you when you're in a tough spot and you want to help them when you're in a tough spot. It's, it is about being okay with saying I need help and then feeling great about being able to return that favor. I mean, if we can get into that more of a community mindset about raising children, you know, we've gotten to where everything is just on us all the time in this little individual nuclear family. And it's not, It's not the best way to do it. It's the harder way to do it. And I think in some ways, too, you're denying your kids the blessing of a bigger family. Yeah. And there's nothing bad about that idea of your children knowing knowing their grandparents more than just them stopping by. Yeah. I mean, the cutest thing is when I came to visit you last year and we were sitting in the backyard and Bernie came home with your dad. Yeah. And just seeing the two of them together and having that time together, she's going to know your father in a different way than a lot of families let their kids know their grandparents. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really special. And I and I always go back to it. That that is the most important. Those relationships are most important when kids are teenagers. Yeah. I am telling you when kids when all of these bad decisions are in front of your kids, I am convinced and the book that we're reading, What Happened to You, solidifies yeah. this belief is that the it's nothing's foolproof but the best way to protect your kids the best way to make sure that they make good choices is for them to feel as connected as possible in every single way and it's not foolproof but boy I'd rather have my kids going into the world feeling connected than not I totally agree I totally agree it's good stuff all right until next year Minnesota State Fair <laughs> I can only take I've also been a <laughs> I've been on like a two meal, one to two meal a day diet since because I like cannot consume any more food. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just like, oh, I got to cleanse it out a little bit. That's oh right. boy. All right. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and write us a review at Apple Podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home.
To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.